0: you're listening to the ignite sessions podcast hosted by virginia tech chi alpha our hope for this podcast is to encourage listeners to pursue god's kingdom and his righteousness we hope you're blessed by today's episode i just want to say that uh I am really impressed with your movement in the meet and greet. So, I saw people literally cross the room. So, uh, thank you for, for doing that. One of the things that uh, I love about getting to do campus ministry is, honestly, seeing how God touches a life and transforms a life. You see, because nobody comes to a secular university... Let me say that again. Nobody comes to a secular university with the idea that they would lay down their degree to move to another nation to serve the only one that's worthy of laying a degree down for. Her. And his name is Jesus. And Rob and Emma, you know, used to sit in the seats that you are sitting in tonight. And when Michelle and I came, To Virginia Tech. We we had a dream, and that dream was that we would see Virginia Tech be a springboard to the nations. And we consider it an honor to, to walk with you in this season of your life. And no matter what happens in your season here, I hope that you grow closer to Jesus. I hope that you fall more in love with Him than you are right now, And I hope for the rest of your life, you fall more in love with Him day after day after day, that it never ends for you, because I don't ever want it to end for me, that as I grow in intimate relationship with this King of kings and this Lord of lords, I find that He is so worthy of every moment, of every day. And so just encourage you that uh, Rob and Emma are actually going to be at our fall getaway, as our missionaries, and you can do, uh, grab a meal with them. We do meal with a missionary, and I encourage you guys to, to come to the Fall Getaway, not just to, to have a great time with your friends, with your life group, but, but and not, not only to hear a good word from my friend, Glenn, who is also a worker in Africa, uh, just a powerful, he just is just a powerful communicator. I, you don't, even, I don't want any of you to miss it but also to sit down face-to-face with people who've laid down a degree in order to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth because Jesus is worthy. I guarantee you, sitting across the table with somebody like that, right, will stir at least your heart. I'm going to share a story later in my, my, uh, my message about getting on foreign soil. And how I am so grateful that somebody invited me. Because to be honest, I was clueless, clueless to how desperate people are for the hope and the love and the forgiveness and the transformation that I was so blessed with. And how can we not? How how can we not tell people all around us about this God who loves us? Amen? Come on, are you with me? In fact, if you're here tonight, I hope you know that in Kai Alpha we believe that you should consider the next few years of your life as a mission's trip. Right, whether you're a a freshman or you're a junior or if you're a senior, what if you just decided that you know this is gonna be the year? This is gonna be the year where I'm gonna I am gonna let people know about this king who's changed my life. I'm not gonna hold it back, I'm not gonna hold it in because he's so worthy. And, uh, and so we encourage you to do that. One of the ways you do that is you get plugged into a life group to you run with some brothers and run with some sisters and uh, just grow in your faith in Jesus. And I'm telling you, you look back on your college career and you'll say this was the best, the best years because you got so much time in your college season to go for God. I say that, not to say that after college things go downhill. I just say that you just don't have as much time. You don't go to bed at two o'clock in the morning when you have kids. (laughs) Or a job. You know, so I just encourage you guys to do that. Dive in, dive in. Don't wait. Right? Someone asked me, I was leading a life group Sunday night, and they they asked me if I could go back, because I was telling my story of how, uh, you know, I played in college, I played soccer in college, and I didn't know Jesus. And they said, if you could go back to college and do one thing, what would it be? And I said this, I would live radically for Jesus, because those teammates that I have still don't know him. And it's not okay with me. It's not okay with me. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm tearing up as I'm sitting there on a couch across from these guys from the Virginia Tech men's soccer team saying, it's just not okay with me. That these guys do not know what I know. And it shouldn't be okay with any of us. Because Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through Him. This is what we believe as followers of Jesus. So, I encourage you guys to dive in. One of the things that's happening in my life this week is that my wife and my two girls uh, are at the beach. So, I'm home uh, with my two boys. We're barely making it, righty? We're, we're barely surviving. I don't know if we've eaten yet. Have we eaten? I definitely haven't cooked yet, but... <laughs> um. But one of the things that, that uh, happens is I often do bedtime. I'm on bedtime duty except for obviously Monday night because I'm here with you. And I, it is like a break because bedtime's rough. Wait until you're a parent. Bedtime's rough. My daughter, Ava, who's our youngest, six years old, she doesn't like to go to bed. And I'm not even sure she needs to go to bed. She's got like crazy energy, you know. And, and so putting her to bed is a battle every single day night. And so I was messing with her right before she's getting ready to go to the beach. I said, I said, what are you going to do? She said, what do you mean, dad? I said, how are you going to ever go to sleep? You can't go to sleep without daddy. And she's like, you're right. I don't, I don't want to go to the beach. And then I realized what I just did. I was like, no, 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 no. You, you need to go to the beach. You need to go to the beach. You know? And um, and so I talked her into it, but but she's hilarious because she really is. She's six, and I can't tell if she really needs me to hold her hand till she falls asleep, or she just enjoys it. And uh, and so it, it hit me. I felt that all the way up here. I just thank you, thank you so much. Um, it dawned on me the other day, you know, as I was hanging out with her, like. I won't always get those moments, right? I won't always get those moments. There will be one day when she turns 14 and she won't hug me in public, (laughs) you know? I hope not, but I have a 14-year-old already, so I uh, I know that that can come. So anyway, that's my family story. Hey, I'm excited to dive in with you for the next couple of weeks on a series called Fear God or fear of God. And this idea of the fear of God its actually an interesting concept. It, it, at first glance, you're like, fear God. I thought this is the God who loves me. I thought this is the God who died for me, and he is. But what's so interesting is that this idea of the fear of God is actually an invitation to intimacy, And unless we really wrap our mind around the fear of God, we can miss out on a deeper intimate relationship with God. And I don't want you to miss out on that. I don't want you to miss out on a deeper intimate relationship with God. So over the next few weeks, this is what we're going to look at from different passages of Scripture, diving into what does it mean actually, because I think sometimes we also think of, well, what what does this actually look like? How do I live this out? And so, hopefully, as we dive in together over the next couple of weeks, we'll discover more of that together. Amen? You with me? So, it's an invitation to intimacy. An invitation is a written or verbal request inviting someone to go somewhere or do something, right? You're like, okay, thanks, Captain Obvious. But I... I I wanted to share that with you because I think it's important as we dive into this. Actually, an invitation, when you receive an invitation, it's always an invitation to greater intimacy with those who have invited you. Always. You're like, well, what do you mean? Well, if someone invites you to a birthday party, it's because they want your presence at their party. They want you to be with them to celebrate their life, and you grow closer in the process. If someone invites you to a wedding, right, it, it's actually got great significance because not only are they inviting you, they're also paying a whole lot of money for you to be there, but they care deeply about this major event in their life that you are present at that moment. But let's just be honest. An invitation to go, to To go to dinner is an invitation to intimacy. An invitation to grab coffee is an invitation to intimacy. An invitation to go to the gym, an invitation, right, whatever you, however you want to spin it, an invitation is an opportunity to spend time with the one who's inviting you in order to get to know you more. Are you following me? And so therefore, when we look at this, we've got to understand that. God is inviting you, He's inviting me into a deeper place of intimacy. It's whether or not we choose to say yes to that or not. In fact, what's really interesting as a a campus missionary, as a campus pastor, one of the things that I get to do is I get to officiate weddings. And uh, I think I'm about five to seven a summer. So, you know, I do a couple. But I noticed, you know what? That when uh, people invite me, and there's more than that that get married in Chi Alpha, so just go like this. Whew. Some of you are, are you, awake? are you awake? Anyway, anyway, all right, let's keep going, moving along. Um, one of the things that I've noticed is that, you know, I don't get invited to them all, <gasps> and there are sometimes I get invited to some that I can't attend. Because there's other things in in life, but I tell you, both times it kind of it kind of it it, it 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 hits me in a different way, or it kind of hurts, if you will. But what I've noticed is is that even the ones that I've been invited to that I can't attend because I have some other, I mean, many times it's because I'm officiating another wedding or I'm somewhere else in the world, whatever it is, I can't be there. And I notice how if I'm not there, moving forward, even though they're alumni, moving into another phase of life, our, in, our relationship doesn't always look the same way as it did before they got married. And I'm, this is not a knock on them, and maybe more my fault than their fault, but the point is this, that, that I miss out on something very significant to them as an invitation to experience and watch and witness some, one of the most important decisions they've made in their life, making a covenant of marriage before the Lord. And again, I, I, I think it all points to this fact that, like, this is something that is so special. You know, Michelle and I are married today. We'll be married 17 years this October. Thank you. I got one that wanted to clap for that. I appreciate that. And, uh, and it all started, you know how it started? Because I invited her out. I had to actually invite her out on this thing called a date. Okay on this thing called a date, so, and she said yes, and then once I got her out on a date, I moved really quickly, because the faster I moved, the less she knew, the more I could, you know, and so here we are going on to 17 years, because I I moved fast, Um, but I want to share a specific invitation with you that really did change my life. A few years ago, I had been invited to go to the To actually three different countries on the continent of Africa. I had not ever, I've never been, and actually to be honest with you, I I wasn't planning on going. And here's why because when I thought of missions, I thought everybody goes to Africa. That's like the uh, romanticized place, right? Like if we're going to see some radical things, we're going to go to Africa. And really, I had a misconception. I didn't understand what was really happening on this continent in these specific countries. And so uh, this friend of mine who I went with a bunch of colleagues, so a bunch of Chi Alpha directors from all over the nation, there was like 13 of us that got asked to be a part of this. And they said, listen, if you pay for your plane ticket, we'll take care of everything else while you're there. So then I thought, well, I don't know if I really want to go, but how can I pass up this amazing invitation to go to other nations and almost basically for nothing, right? Like I didn't have to do anything but uh, get a plane ticket. So here I am. I'm getting on a plane. I'm, I'm honestly, I have no idea what to expect when I get there. I know these guys by name, but I've never spent any time with them. And now I'm about to spend 10 days in some... Challenging climate, you know drinking water that you know may cause me to get people to get to know people real real well, real intimately, you know what i 'm saying and and so here i am i 'm on the plane, not knowing and i 'm talking to the Lord like Lord, what why do you have me going on this trip and I feel like I get nothing, you know I got nothing, and we land and, and here it is we we land and I get driven to this little. Uh, this little like compound there 's this this cement wall that goes around and there 's these two little houses inside and I walk in on the last one to get there because everybody else had gotten there earlier in that day, so they 've been hanging out and I get in and it 's time to go to bed so like I barely get to hang out with these guys for like thirty seconds, and i 'm exhausted anyway, so we go to sleep, and the next morning we get up and we drive to this mountain that overlooks <clears throat> Bamako, and we 're up on this this mountain, and we're looking over, and we start to pray, and I start weeping. I mean, like I can't talk, cry, which is not my normal. So here I am with these guys that all do what I do. They've never really met me before, other than we just know each other's names. And I'm sitting on this mountain. I've never even, I haven't really even met an African at this point. And I'm sitting on this mountain, and I'm looking over the city, and I can't even see people, and I just lose it. Like, my dog just died, you know, kind of a moment, you know, boom. And I I cannot shake this thing, and they're, they're all looking at me. So I don't even get to pray. I just wept the whole time, and I felt like the Lord told me this is what it felt like when he was coming into Jerusalem, and he was moved with compassion because people were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so, um, but it just, it didn't stop. So every time we went into prayer, I just lost it. And it became funny to them. So like, let's pray. And and they would just say it in the car, you know, hey, let's pray. And I'd start crying. So they started calling me Jeremiah, (laughs) the weeping prophet. I literally met the pastor who paid for most of us to go there like a, a year later, and they're like, yeah, this is the Jeremiah we told you about. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, this thing went all the way around the world. But here's, here's what's so crazy, is that invitation was an invitation to experience the heart of God in a way that I would not have known otherwise. And I look back to think, I, I actually told them no three times. I told them, no, I can't go. I can't afford to be gone that long. I can't, I can't do this. I can't do that. I've got kids. They've got soccer. I'm not missing those things. And, and yet, here I am on the backside of that, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what would have happened if I said no to that invitation? I'll be honest with you. I don't know if we'd be going to Zanzibar. Because I had such a misconception of these areas of the world that so needed the love of God. But what it did in here was priceless. And tonight, as we look at this story, we're going to look at a story of of God calling a group of people to draw near to him, but they refuse to come. And actually, for for to be honest, really, still today, because they refuse to draw near to God in this moment, they still, many of them from this nation are distant from God. And I wonder what would have happened if they took God up on this offer. If they took God up in this invitation to, to draw close what would have happened if they would have said yes and i believe to be honest that invitation is an invitation that god is still giving today it is an invitation that he's going to extend to you tonight to come closer to be more intimate because what christ did on a cross because the blood that was shed, because the empty tomb, there's a God who's alive and well, and he loves you and wants you to come close. He wants intimacy with you. And this is something that will change your life. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you. God, would you just continue to speak to us, God, as we open up your word together tonight, God, we invite your Holy Spirit to come, God, that you would pinpoint areas in our life and in our heart, God, that we actually need you to talk to us about. God, would you come and would you reveal, God, the places even in our own life that that we actually have, have kept distant from you, God, because when you call us to come close, you want all of us, not just part of us, you want all of us to be intimate, with you, Jesus. And so, God, we're just asking, God, that you would do that tonight, God, that you would draw us closer to you tonight. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So, let me give you a little bit of background. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 20. So, if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to Exodus chapter 20. And uh, just, you know, I just encourage you guys, if you don't have a Bible with paper, I would encourage you to get one and we have them for you if you need one. The phone's great. It's nothing against the knock on the phone, but I encourage you to get a Bible. Let me give you some background. Now, what you need to understand is for 430 years, the nation of Israel was in Egypt, and they were slaves in Egypt. We see in in Exodus chapter three, I think it's verse seven, that that the God who created everything, the God who spoke the world into existence, hears the cry of the people in Egypt. Here's the, that they're 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 upset. They're crying out to God, and it's amazing to hear that that He hears them in their affliction. And so God responds because they're crying out in their affliction, God responds. And what he does is he raises up this man named Moses. I don't know if you know the story, but Moses is out in the desert. He's looking over some sheep, which he once, and he was raised in Egypt at one time, but he decided to, he he got in trouble, he killed an Egyptian, and he fled for his life, and now he was out. Uh, in the desert, and he was looking over his father-in-law's sheep, but God comes to him. God invites him on a, on a journey, and he does it through a moment on the backside of a desert when he shows up in this burning bush, and, and God speaks to Moses and tells him all of these things. I'm, I'm calling you to be a deliverer. You're going to go down there, and you're going to go before Pharaoh, who is, by the way, leading the world superpower of the time. Now, I don't know if you know anything about this, but Moses would have been well acquainted because he was raised up in the house of Pharaoh, all right? Now, although it's a different Pharaoh, he still understands what's happening in this place, right? And so he he says, you know, he says, I can't do it. God says, you know, you can do it. I'm with you. And so he goes. He goes down and he stands before, right? Pharaoh, who, by the way, thinks he's a god, and the best thing that has ever hit the planet. And Moses stands before him and says, you need to let my people go. And Pharaoh's like, ain't no way. And what happens over the course of some time is that God raises up 10 different plagues. 10 different plagues come to to Egypt to do what? To demonstrate that Pharaoh... Is not God, but Yahweh is to reveal. In fact, God says over and over again that the Egyptians might know that I am God. And He raises them up and all this kind of stuff. And so by the 10th plague, Pharaoh finally is done with it because it was the firstborn was, was killed in all of Egypt. And Pharaoh says, Get them out of here. So they leave and they get, and Pharaoh also gives them gold and silver and they, they head out to the wilderness. And while they're headed out, Pharaoh all of a sudden changes his mind. And so they go after them. Right? You guys know the story. And so they show up to, they're they're like got their backs against the wall, right? They're up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh and the chariots are coming in and the people start complaining to this God who just delivered them out of Egypt. Starts complaining, what's going to happen? Moses, what are you going to do? And Moses starts talking to God and God's like, raise up your staff. And all of a sudden, one of the most unreal things happens because a highway forms in the middle of the Red Sea. Now, think about that. Like, I've never seen that happen. But these guys not only saw it, they went and walked through the Red Sea on dry ground. Don't forget what's happening. They just got set free from the world's superpower. God had done signs and wonders in their midst. They ran for their life, and now they're standing with their back up against the wall, and God says, look at this. I'm going to make a way where there seems to be no way, right through the water. And they walk through the Red Sea on dry ground. you guys know what happens? Pharaoh and the, these guys, they run in after them. But, but Israel gets to the other side. They turn around, and God closes the highway. No longer open for business. And he washes up the chariots and the Pharaoh's army. And they stand on the other side, and they're free. They're free. So they're on the other side, and they, they start setting up camps. They're living in the wilderness, and after a while, they get thirsty. The water that they find is bitter, and so they start complaining, you brought us all the way out here, and now the water's bitter, and God miraculously touches the water, and the water becomes sweet. Sweet. A little bit later, they're complaining because they ate so well in Egypt, and they're crying out, man, we, we had such good food in Egypt, and they're, they're, they're kind of upset that now they're here and they're starving, and, and what does God do? He decides to provide manna that shows up every morning, miraculously. A little bit later in the story, they're upset again because there's no water, And God tells Moses to strike a rock and water comes gushing out of a rock. I mean, this is unbelievable. Like, sometimes we read the Bible and we're just like, oh, cool. No, this isn't just cool. Like, this kind of stuff makes the absolute best movies ever. Because it's supernatural. And these were real people that experienced real supernatural acts of God and here they are here they are God heard their cry and came to them and he delivered them and he provided for them miraculously this is important to know because as we step into these this next moment of scripture he gives them these things called the 10 commandments you guys have probably heard of them right or, or the law. And what happens is you've got to understand that when God gives the people of Israel a law, there's already a relationship that has been established among him and the people. Why? Because he's the God that rescued them. He's the God that saved them. He's the God that provided for them. He's the God, the one true God. They had seen many fake gods up to this point in Egypt. But there's really only one true God. This is the God that came to them. This is the God that desires intimacy with them. In chapter 19, the Lord called out to Moses from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you up on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you would indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Moses was given another invitation to the people of God, that they would be a special people, special possession for the Lord, if they would walk in obedience and live in and obey this covenant that God was making with them. An invitation to intimacy. Again, we can get confused, right? Because it seems like they have to do these things. But God already came to them from a place of relationship and inviting them into this deeper, deeper relationship. Uh, A place where they would be preserved in relationship. A place where they would walk with him in deeper ways. To be a kingdom of priests. What you need to know, the invitation was one that a priest would go to God on behalf of the people to help bring unity, help bring oneness between God and the people. That's what priests did. And now God is asking an entire nation to come to be those kind of people. Right? Like that's unbelievable that God would do that. And then the the whole thing that priests would do is then they would teach in order to help improve that relationship and take it deeper with the greater understanding of who this God is. That's the role of the priest. And God is inviting the entire nation of Israel to be priests. And what's crazy is that What we understand there is really a oneness. God wants oneness with his people, and we see this throughout Scripture. I don't know if you know this, but one of the purposes of marriage is oneness, that the two become one, like God had designed it that way. But what's really interesting is is it starts out in the dating process, right? Right? And in the dating process, although there are some, some boundaries in, to your relationship, they're, they're not as strict as we move forward in this relationship. Are you following me? Like, you may still have friends that you talk to on the phone that are of the opposite gender. You probably would, you know, hang out with them here and there. You're not exclusive. Does that make sense? To the, to the degree that you want, you will be. Then there's an engagement season. And in the engagement season, what did you do? You just made a promise to live in covenant relationship with this woman. In other words, you said, I'm coming back for you. right? Like, I'm making this promise that I want to live with you and and die with you, right? Like, that's the promise. And so things get a little bit tighter, right? You spend the next six months of your life just wedding planning. It's amazing. And then you get married. And then, so what happens? You stand before God and before all your family and all your friends, and you make a covenant before the Lord with one another. And that covenant is sealed by vows that say, like things like, in sickness and in health, till death do us part. But what happens in that moment is things begin to change, and you may not know that. If you're married in the room, you know, right? Things change. Because now, in this covenant, Michelle and I have exclusive rights to each other. That may sound really crazy, but read your Bible. (laughs) But here's the deal, right? Like, here's the deal. Like, this is so important for us to understand what I'm getting into, I don't call other women on the phone and just talk about their day. And I don't call up other women and go grab some dinner or have coffee with them. Because when I made a covenant with my wife, my heart was set for her and her alone. And it's not to be shared with anybody else in that way. And what you start to see is, is God is really painting a picture through this marriage of the desire that he wants for you and for me. That, that as we step into this covenant relationship, that he has exclusive rights to you and that you don't share him with other, other lovers. Right? And, and if we begin to, to share God with other lovers, he's a jealous God and and he desires relationship so deeply that he decided to set up a way for people to remain in intimate relationship with him and in the old testament believe it or not we call this the law the 10 commandments. You're like, wait, what are you talking about? Because you've got to watch this, okay? He gives them the Ten Commandments. He delivered them. He saved them. He set them free. He provided for them. Now he says, listen, this is how I want you to live. Why? Because when you live this way, you are close to me. You are close to me. But you remember, right, that, that it's not that easy because there's this thing called the fall, right? And the fall impacted our relationship with God. When sin entered the world, it impacted our relationship with God, but it also impacted our relationship with other people. It impacted our relationship with ourselves, and it impacted our relationship with the earth. And God wants to restore all of that. He wants to restore all that. One day, it will be restored. And you, if you draw close to God, and what I say tonight, you begin to live out Like, by faith, you will experience what it was always meant to be. Come on. All right. Now I'm ready to read our passage. You ready? Exodus 20, verse 18. Again, after the giving of the Ten Commandments, the law, we read this in the word of God. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood afar off and they said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. Moses said to the people, do not fear for God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. The people stood afar off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was. Now, I want you to understand this picture of this mountain was not just something we see in in a movie, right? Like, these guys were really standing there, and the entire mountain of Sinai was wrapped in smoke because God descended upon Mount Sinai in fire, okay? And so this, and then lightning, actually the the word for lightning here is like fireball. So I don't know what that looked like, but this was something unreal, right? So these guys were afraid. And the word afraid here actually means they were trembling. There was a terror upon them, right? And you're like, wow, God, that's not the best way to draw people in, right? (laughs) To to come at them like that. But have you ever been in a, a circumstance where... You began to tremble because of fear. I'm sure there have been people in this room that, when they they think about certain things that have happened to them, there's probably been moments where trembling can start to happen because if your mind takes you back to those places. But I do remember growing up, one of my favorite things to do as a kid was to scare people. I don't know why, it's probably because I wasn't saved but i really enjoyed i really enjoyed hiding in the hamper under clothes and when my mother would come to grab some clothes to do laundry i would grab her hand and that yell was so amazing <laughs> that i would laugh for hours right and i would do things like hide in all kinds of boxes and jump out at my brothers and sisters i just had a, I had a blast with it and one day I remember very. It was. It was probably one of those days. I grabbed my mom's hand in the in the hamper, and she said, "You know, one day, it's coming back for you." And I was like, "Nah, you know, because I'm young." And one day it came back for me. I was 14, and I was. I shared a, a room with my brother, and uh, my bed was up against the far wall, and his bed was right in front of the door. Okay. So, we used to do this thing also when my brother would go to the bathroom. I'd get up and I'd climb into his bed so that when he'd get back in bed, I'd grab him, you know, scare him to death. So, I knew that this might be, this might happen, right? Like every time I went to the bathroom, I knew that my brother might try to get me back and he could never do it. You know, he just never could do it because I always, because I had to see his bed right in front of him so I knew if he was in it or not. This night, I could have swore that he was in the bed. And I walk in and I turn to my bed, and there's a guy climbing in my window, and I turn around, and I run to the bathroom. (gasps) I close the bathroom door. I lock it, and I sit down, and I'm trembling. I'm like, (gasps) you know, like, someone just just broke into our house, and I just left my brother to die, (laughs) you know? And I'm sitting in the bathroom, and I'm shaking so much and, like, breathing so heavy that my parents hear me. And they're like, are you okay? I'm like, I can't talk because I'm so terrified. I'm like, there's, there's somebody. There's somebody. They're, they're like, what's going on? I'm like, my room. So they go to my room. My brother had decided to check to see if it was snowing outside. So he had, like, climbed halfway out the window <laughs> to see, and he was coming back in at that time. But I don't know if I've ever shaken that much. Like, I literally thought it was over. That's what these guys were doing in the moment. Only it was way more serious. They were were shaking in fear. They were terrified of what they saw. And so they stayed far off. They wanted Moses to interact with God. They did not want to interact with God. You see the very thing that God wanted for the people, the people did not want for themselves. Can I say that again, the very thing that God wanted for the people, the people did not want for themselves. And unfortunately, we live in a world that's just like that, isn't it? That God wants intimacy with all humanity. He wants a relationship with all humanity. but there's many people that don't want that for themselves. They didn't want to be priests. They wanted Moses to be their priest. They wouldn't, didn't want to come close to God. You see, fear led them to prefer humanity over the divine. Fear led them to prefer humanity and to reject the divine. And let's be honest Tonight, that's probably a little bit of all of us, because I'd far rather have someone tell me plainly what to do, and then if it didn't work out, I had somebody to blame. Right? This is, this is something we all lean into, something that we all want. We just, just tell me what to do. Just tell me how to live for God, and I'll do it that way, instead of actually having a relationship with God to find out. This way, if it doesn't work out, I can not blame myself, but I can look to you and I can say, well, it was your fault. You told me to do it. And what's interesting is throughout Scripture, we see this over and over again in humanity. Because to be honest, we want to be able to point the finger at somebody else. It becomes a whole lot harder to point the finger at somebody else when God, in the intimacy of your relationship with him, as you're reading the Bible, you feel convicted to do something and live a certain way, and you choose not to do it. It's really difficult to be like, bro. Because deep down inside, the Lord spoke to you, and you know that you know that you know. We also are really good at, like, when someone comes to us and God speaks through somebody else to us, We're good at being like, nah, I didn't, I didn't, nah. He couldn't have meant that, right? We're really good at that, unfortunately. But see, God, he desires intimacy with you. He wants relationship with you, not with somebody else. There is actually only one mediator between God and man, and it's Jesus. We don't need one anymore. He did all the work. He paved the way. So Moses' response to the people for not wanting to come close to God is he says, Do not fear, for God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. This word, uh, again, fear, is kind of like this tormenting fear that comes from both guilt and danger. So whenever we feel guilty, whenever we feel like we're in danger, this is the kind of fear that we're talking about here. And Moses says, I don't want you to continue to run away from the divine, right? Because you feel guilty. One of these commentators, J.S. Excel, says this, our fears are the results of our sins, for conscience does make cowards of us all. You see, when, we, we, when we're in the wrong, we live in fear. You guys ever been there? You tell a lie, and you live in fear of being found out. So you tell more lies to cover up and make the distance, but it feels worse and it feels worse and it feels worse, right? You ever get caught or you ever cheat on an exam, right? It feels terrible, right? Because why? Because if the teacher finds out, I'm not just done with this exam. The honor code is busted. Peace. But if you've ever been there, you know what it's like to be tormented by those things. It's obvious that Israel did not have a correct understanding of God because a correct understanding of God would have removed the fear, at least that type of fear. Moses tells them, God came down to test you. The test revealed to them the kind of God that they served, a God that is powerful, that he's above nature, that he's good, and that he's holy. This test also revealed to them that God had expectations in this relationship, that he expected them to live morally, to have a moral behavior as his people This test also revealed that in their own weaknesses, they could not do it without God's grace and God's help. Amen? That this was what God revealed to them and was reminding them, but he didn't just give them a list of commands. He gave them himself and came down and manifested the reality of this power, the reality of this holiness, the reality, God, of his person to test them, to test them. But he came in this way so that they would fear him. And this word fear is a fear that leads to honor and to revering him. It leads to respect. It leads to obedience. This word fear is different than the first. The fear that leads to desire to know him, to honor him, to revere him. The closer you get to God, the more you will grow to revere and to honor Him, which will lead to a life of obedience. This is why God is calling them to come close, even though He's manifesting Himself with great power. He's calling them to come close because He wants them to know Him. I love this. The commentator uh, Excel said this, fear not. With the terror which makes you shrink back from the divine voice, but fear so as to shrink from which the divine voice forbids. What would that look like? What would that look like? You see, the heart of God in this moment is an invitation for Israel to fear him, to run to him, to run away from everything that separates us from God. And when we live in that kind of fear and our desire to honor him, our desire to to revere him, our desire to, to know him, to draw close to him, we run away from sin. In other words, we are more fearful of being separated from God than anything else. Are you following me? This is such a big deal because I think we miss out on this in the Christian faith. We don't hear a lot about this awe-inspiring fear of God because God knows how shallow views of who he is doesn't lead to transformation. Can I say that again? Shallow views of God will never lead you to transformation. In fact, what we see in in the nation of Israel is that they stay at a distance. They they don't accept this invitation to to have intimacy with God and to be priests among the world. They, they, They refuse to do that, and because they refuse to do that, within 40 days they're worshiping a calf made of gold that they made. Now wait a second, you're like, come on, what did the calf do for you? Because the God that you said no to was the one that set you free from slavery. The God that you said no to was the one that provided water when you were thirsty, provided bread when you were hungry. The God that you said no to was the one who called you into intimacy, and now you're sitting there worshiping a stupid golden calf that can't do anything for you. And, like, we read the Bible and we're like, those guys are idiots. The problem is, is we're a whole lot like them. Let's just be honest. That's the scary thing when you read the Bible. You're like, I have this, I have this book that, that, that God is trying to teach me how to know him. And yet I refuse you see, I'm, I'm no different than the Israelites. We're no different. We often try to live this life of Christianity through somebody else. Many of us in this room probably have grown up in the church at some point in our life. And like we, we heard a good message and we're like, oh, I'm feeling good about myself. Or like we lived off our parents' faith or our pastor or our youth leader, but that doesn't change us. And so some of us grew up that way, and and we actually were able in the midst and in their company to to live a moral life like we actually did and made some good choices. Not, Not that they were all good, but we weren't like going crazy. And then we got to a place where they're no longer around us, and then we started to go Well, crazy. I was one of those. Grew up in the church. I could tell you every story. But I didn't know God. I didn't realize when I sat in the seat that you're sitting in that that every Sunday when I grew up, there was an invitation to intimacy where the God who created all we see and know desires to know and walk with me intimately. I thought it was just for the guy who was behind the microphone. And so when I got to college, right, like I was a mess, guys, because I thought in order to have friends and be a part of this soccer team that I needed to do what they did. Let's just be honest. We struggle with walking in obedience and intimacy with God. Israel would say things like, let me do it. Like, just you speak to us and we'll listen. But we noticed that didn't work because you were made for so much more than that. You were made for so much more than that. But not only that, like... Let's just be honest. God is calling us to deeper intimacy with him so that we actually grow to to despise what he despises. Like God didn't just die on a cross and come to life three days later for you to sit in a pew and hear a message. No, he died on a cross and came to life to do life with you to show you what what he has, to show you his heart, to to go on an adventure with you. Like, actually, one of the things that I struggled with as a a person that sat in your seat but didn't really know God was, like, I thought if I said yes to God, like, man, it would be the most boring life ever. Because those those Christians, like, they've got, they don't know how to have fun. Why? Because I had a misunderstanding of what fun is can't let the world tell you what fun is because it has a ruler. You know who he is? His name is Satan, and he's a deceiver. He's been lying from the beginning. This God that we serve and that we love desires to know you. I was fearful the wrong kind of fear, Because of the places I've been and the things that I've done, I didn't think God would ever want me to come close. I was sexually immoral and I was drinking alcohol all the time. How could this God extend an invitation to someone who's as messed up as me? But we're all messed up. That's the problem. We all have issues. We all need Jesus. But friends, let me just tell you something. This invitation didn't stop in the book of Exodus. This, this invitation continues to ring out to all of us, to all of the students at Virginia Tech, to all of the people in the United States to all the people that, that are breathing today on this planet. There's an invitation to intimacy with God. But let me tell you something, that we have to grow in this reverence in honor of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We have to grow in this place of fear, to fear God, to run away from sin and run to God. Are you following me? Like, this is what God longs for. He came to set you free of that which enslaved you, which is sin, so that you can be in intimate relationship with Him. And so you start there. Are you following me? You start there with accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, remember, this is a little series On the fear of God. We're gonna dive more into this next week, but I just thought it was important for us to start here tonight. That the fear of God is an invitation to intimacy, of having a holy reverence for God, that we would not sin against Him when we are in public or when we are in private that we would so value what God had done on the cross for you and for me that I would refuse because I fear being separated from the one true God who holds eternity in his hand for my life, that I would be separated from him for eternity. I don't want that for myself, and I don't want that for my worst enemy. But God, would you teach us what it's like to live in a healthy, holy fear of you? But you start by saying yes to Jesus. And so if you're here today and and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you see, what we read about here in Exodus and what God did to deliver the people out of slavery, right? To, to, to lead them out of bondage and into freedom, to provide for them, to walk with them, right? That's exactly what Christ has done. Moses was a type of Jesus. He was a deliverer. Jesus is our deliverer. And he came and he lived on this earth. And and it was God who wrapped himself in flesh and came to earth as a baby. And he grew up and he never sinned. He was fully man and fully God. And he died so that you and I could be restored to this God. This same God that was on Mount Sinai and showed up in smoke and fire and thunder and lightning is the same God that wrapped himself in flesh and he hung on a tree for you and for me and for all of this campus. The intimacy that awaits you is an an intimacy that is extended through the cross of Christ. And he's saying, come on, Come and know me. John 17 says this. John 17, 3 says, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you sent. The word know means to personally and intimately interact with. Friends, let me ask you a question. I don't care how many times you've been in a church service. I don't care how many times, right, like you've raised your hand. The question I have for you, the definition of eternal life in the Bible is, do you know God? do you personally and intimately interact with God? Meaning when you leave this room, when you wake up tomorrow, do you personally and intimately interact with God? Eternal life doesn't happen once we take our last breath. Actually, it's an invitation to begin living it now. And if you're not there, friends, I encourage you to say yes to Jesus. Accept what he's done on the cross for you, for your sin, that you can be restored into relationship with God. If you're here today and you don't know where you stand with God and you don't know if that's you, then I encourage you to raise your hand. Just slip up your hand. Is there anyone here today that say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to know where I stand with God. Just slip up your hand. Is there anyone here today that say, that's me. That's me. I know that I'm not right with God and I want to surrender today. Anybody here give it up. Let's give it up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Anybody else here today that say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. All right. Let's everybody stand together for the rest of us here. This is how we're gonna respond. We're gonna pray before we do this. We're gonna pray for our new brother in the Lord. But before before we, we do that, I wanna give one more call. You see, the, the thing is is that there's many of us here in this room that really we don't really fear God. Yet this is an invitation to intimacy with Him. What I say, when I say we don't fear God, I, I think of I think it's Proverbs 18:3. That says the fear of the God, the fear of God is the hatred of evil. and evil is anything that stands in opposition of God. If you're there tonight, if you're not there tonight, if you're not like, man, man, I actually been okay with these sin patterns in my life. I'm actually okay with the pride. I'm actually okay with the selfishness. I'm actually okay with my sexual immorality. I'm actually okay. like that's not okay with God. He came and he died for it. And he's saying, friends, come on, you don't have to leave here the same way you walked in. And I have been believing that through this series, God wants to fill us with a holy reverence for him. That we would not be okay with the sin in our life. And so if that's you tonight, that after I'm done praying, I, will, I encourage you to find a place at this altar and say, God, I need, I need a revelation. I need a, I need a healthy fear of you, God. God. Because it's not where it needs to be. But first, I'd like us to pray with our brother who's raised his hand. So I'm gonna re- I'm gonna pray out. I'm just gonna ask that you repeat it, and then these altars are open. Heavenly Father, so you would say, Heavenly Father. Let's try it again. Heavenly Father, Heavenly Father thank you for loving me so much that you would send your one and only son to die for me. Thank you for loving me that much. Jesus, thank you for loving me that much. And tonight I realize that I need you, God. Thank you for forgiveness that you offered that to me. Would you forgive me of my sin and help me to live a life for your glory from this day forward? In Jesus' name, amen. God, we ask, God, that you would fill us with a healthy fear of God tonight. God, I, I pray, God, that we wouldn't be okay with, with what we even consider to be little concessions of our faith, little sins, little white lies dabbling in with sorcery with the things that we watch and the things that we engage in God would you forgive us because those are the very things that you came to set a generation free from God and so Lord we just say God we're sorry tonight and God would you baptize us in a healthy holy fear of you God in Jesus' name friends this altar is open I'd move quickly Thank you for tuning in to the Ignite Sessions podcast. To learn more about Virginia Tech Chi Alpha, please follow us on Instagram and Facebook. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share it using the hashtag TheIgniteSessions. We'll see you next time.